Welcome everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. Just one quick announcement before we get started. If you're new or even really if you've been coming a while and you've never taken our Discover Life class, um, our Discover Life class is for you to have an opportunity to come get to know more people at Life Church. If you didn't know this, like uh, if you come to a certain service all the time, I think you'd be surprised who's at the other service. Like a lot of times you don't even know, you know, who's at the other service. So it's an opportunity for you to get to know more people, uh, which is important to us at Life Church relationships and relationships with other people. So it's an opportunity to do that. It's also an opportunity to see where we've come from. So it's a class that talks about the history of Life Church and also then what we believe in. Because if you watch what we do at Life Church, it's all based upon what we value and what we believe in. So if you want to know more about those things, you could sign up. The class starts this Thursday. Um, so it's two Thursday nights that, that you can come to. So you can sign up on the app or you can sign up online. And again, if you can't figure out either one of those things, just let us know. We can still get you in the class and would love to have you uh, a part of that. So sign up for Discover Life if you want to know more about Life Church or you want to get to know more people here um, at Life Church and why we do the things that we do. All right, spiritual warfare, when the devil knocks, that's where we've been for the past three weeks, where we'll be for the next couple weeks yet to come. So real quick recap for you guys that are new online or you guys that are new with us. What is spiritual warfare? Why is it important? So very clearly we've said this from the beginning. If you didn't know this, you have an enemy. The enemy's name is Satan. He has demonic angels working in an unseen world that affects the seen world, right? So a devil who has said, or Satan who has said, with the help of his angels, that's going to do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy you, right? Now, the big question I think for everybody is how, right? Like, I'd really like to know how so I could protect myself, or I'd like to know how so that um, I can defend myself, or I'd like to know how so that I can help the people that I love defend themselves. And so we've been talking through what that looks like um, and trying to help you understand what does spiritual warfare look like and how is it affecting our seen world and what does it mean for each one of us individually. And so we started with this, the thing that all of us need to recognize. What's the war over? Right? So is the war over just trying to take your money? Is the war, God, you know, that Satan wants to make you sick? Is the war that he wants to take your kids? Like, what's the war over? And I think once we understand that, it's easier to process how we can defend or the things that we can do. So here's what the war is over, the souls of mankind. The only thing that can be affected from the time that we have on this earth, right? Because here's what we know. The only way that people are going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is through who? You, right? Like that's the only way the gospel is going to be spread. So if the gospel is going to be spread by you, right, and you're going to be the one that's going to be on mission spreading the gospel, the way to win the war for Satan is not to steal your salvation, but to distract you away from your mission, right? If your mission, if the only mission why we're on this earth is to, to reach people, teach people, and send people out, then he's going to do whatever he can to distract you away from that mission. Now, happens in multiple different ways, right? Like for every person in this room, they could probably identify, like, here's some ways that Satan's distracting us from a mission, or here's some ways that I feel like Satan has tried to attack me, or here's some ways that, you know, I feel like Satan's coming against me. So there's multiple ways. So when we talk about it, 
I'm not going to be able to talk about every single thing that's going to affect you, but my hope is we can put some foundational things together to help you be prepared for it. So we spent two weeks saying, if we know the war is over the souls of mankind, what is one of the tools that Satan uses? And we talked about pride for the past two weeks, right? So pride in our life is something that Satan uses to distract us away from what the mission is and help us, you know, or move us off center from where uh, God wants us to go and the things that he wants us to do. This week, this is going to be the focus, right? Satan trying to keep you from living a life that lasts, okay? So think about this. Living a life that lasts. Because Satan, one of the things that he's very good at is he's a deceiver, right? But not all the time is everything he says just bold-faced lies. You know how he just takes it and maybe twists the truth a little bit, right? Like he takes scripture and twists it. And so I think this is where we end up sometimes as Christian people. And I think it's sometimes because we believe the lies that Satan has twisted by using scripture and using it to keep us in this bubble that we miss, So for a lot of Christian people, they would think this, I think, in their life. Like to live a life that lasts or to live a life that would honor God, it just means that I need to be holier, better, you know, again, know more about the Bible and show up for church. And that would make God happy. Right? Maybe. Like, don't you think to a certain extent we as Christian people, and that's not wrong, is it? It's not wrong that God wants you to be more, to be better morally. It's not wrong that he, you know, that he wants you to know more about the Bible. It's not wrong that he wants you to live a better life. It's not wrong that he wants you to be that in Bible study. It's not wrong for any of those things. But here's what you need to understand. A life of addition will die someday. A life of multiplication will go on forever, right? And I want you to understand the difference in that. See, you can work on yourself to be a better person and add people into your circle. But if you never multiply yourself into those people, that will someday die. Does that make sense? A little? I want to make sure we're going down this road because there is a huge difference, right? It's the concept that Scripture tells us that it's not just about us being better. It's not just about us being reached. In fact, he would say, for every single person who becomes a follower of mine, this is what will identify them. Followers fish, right? I'll make you, you know, when he said, come and be a follower of mine, I'll turn you into a fisher of men. So he says, all followers will fish, right? But here's the other part of it. You know the other part of it? and that you will teach other people to fish, right? That it's not just even about you and your fishing and your mission and the things that you have, but it's about teaching other people how to do the same thing, right? So success in the eyes of God, a life that will last, does that make sense? A life that will go on forever is one that fishes for people and teaches other people how to fish, Right? So all of those things that we're talking about, Satan is trying to distract you away from. Like if Satan can keep you focused on just you, right? Just get your own life right, stay in your own lane, become better, be a better person, you know, use the Bible as somewhat of a self-help manual so that you can be going down the road and you're a better person than what you were a year ago because you're following the self-help manual. If you if Satan could get you to do that, 
for the rest of your life, that's perfect. Right? Like if he could keep you going down that, that's the distraction that he's trying to get. Because God would say to you, I want you to live a life that lasts. Right? And you know what's funny is a lot of times we don't know this until a funeral. You know what's weird about a funeral is that nobody knows what to say. You ever think about this? Like you come in, what do you really say to somebody? Right? And I've been on the receiving end and on the giving end of both of those things. But I'll tell you something. Being on the receiving end of losing somebody that you love multiple different times and standing in a line. And, I, and I'm not saying this is bad. But when people come to you, you know, that like, I'm sorry for your loss, doesn't bring comfort. And I don't mean that bad, right? Like, I, there's nothing else to say because you really are sorry for their loss. But you know what brings comfort to people who lost a loved one? When somebody walks in and says, that person made a difference in my life. That brings comfort. Because you can't bring it back. You can't do any of those things. Like, I get it. Like, and I'm not saying it's bad to say you're sorry for the loss. But at the end of the day, what brings somebody comfort is they lived their life on purpose. And they made a difference in the lives of other people. And so when they walk through the line, the thing that brings comfort to people who have lost somebody is to say just that. Because of them, because of what they've done, I'm at a different place in my life today or because of who they poured into and multiplied themselves into, I'm a different person today. That's what every single person wants to hear at their funeral, right? If you could listen from heaven, that's what you wanna hear. Nobody wants to hear, sorry for your loss, or you know, as fun as it is to share great memories, like it's fun to sit in a funeral and share great memories of a person's life, all the fun stuff that you did together, and it's great to reminisce, but the things that will point to a life that lasts is they made a difference because they chose to multiply themselves into me. Or they chose to multiply themselves into somebody else. And so here's something I want to encourage you with. So when I do life coaching with people, one of the first things that I ask them to do, write your eulogy. What do you want people to say about you when you die? That's what, if you didn't know that. Eulogy is somebody's going to get up and they're going to talk about your life. Write your eulogy. And you know what it is for a lot of people? They write what they hope people will say, and then they read it and figure out that's not what they would really say. You know what I mean? Like we hope that people are gonna get up and say, because I chose to multiply because he chose to multiply because Thaddeus chose to multiply himself into the life that this person is getting up and saying, look at how exponentially because of what Thaddeus has done, the kingdom and the gospel has grown. That's what we want him to say. But too many times that's not what's going to be said. In fact, when my kids were little, I know they don't remember this, but when my kids were little, I was at this place because I read that in a book. Like in this book, I read like write your own eulogy. So I'm like, I'm gonna ask my kids, you know, what do they think? And my kids were little at the time. And I'm like, hey, if I was gonna die and you're gonna get up and you're gonna share about dad, what would you say? And I had all these hopes, right, of what they would say. You know what they said? Well, dad is a hard worker. And I'm like, dang it. Like, I know, like, I want to be a hard worker, but you know what I wanted him to say? You know, it wasn't like, oh, the only thing we really know about dad is he's a hard worker. You know how we know that? Because he's never home. 
Anybody else? Right? Like, that's not the legacy that you want to leave. Right? And I'm into my mind, I'm thinking, well, it's just because they're little, they don't really know. But you know what? No, it's true. The legacy that I was leaving, although I wanted that to be, like, in my mind, you know, I'd kind of drawn this picture of what I wanted them to say and what I thought they would say. And, you know, I was just sitting back there ready for the proud papa moment when it would just come out and, you know. And when it doesn't come out, you have two choices. You can either be upset or you can change something. So I just said, you know what, I got to figure out how to change this. And I'm not saying that I've done it right or that, you know, um, the things that I've done have always worked and that I've even had success in all of it. But at the end of the day, here's what I know. I know that if I don't choose to multiply myself into other people and I don't choose to teach them how to multiply themselves into other people, when my life's over, my life will be over. Because just so you know, you're one generation from having no memories of you on this earth. If you don't multiply yourself into other people, you're one generation away from nobody knowing you or having no impact on this earth. And so we've got to be a people that figures out how to not give in to what Satan has told each one of us, which is a life that matters is a life of you just being a good person. A life that matters is one that's just a, a life that matters in the eyes of God is, yes, becoming more holy, and at the same time, reaching more people, and at the same time, teaching people how to be like you. Right? That's a life that's going to last. That's a life that's going to continue to multiply. So how do you do it? Because easier said than done, right? How do you live a life or how do you look at a life that can be multiplied? And what principles should we put in place? Because at the end of the day, we can say, we can sit up here and say Satan's trying to attack and this is what he wants to do for each one of us. But how do we fight against it? So we're going to look at two characters in Scripture, right? So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings 19, so we're looking at 1 Kings and 2 Kings in this, and we're going to look at two people, Elijah, right? So that's a prophet of God, Elijah, and Elisha, somebody else that in Scripture, and inside of this, this is what we're going to try to figure out, because people are going to find themselves at different places, and you need to identify where you're at today. So you could be somebody who feels like you're living on purpose and you're doing the things that God's called you to do and you're like in your lane, but you might recognize that in the midst of being in your lane and doing good things that you forgot that you need to multiply those things into the lives of other people. Like if you want this to keep going, you better keep doing what you're doing, but also learn how to multiply yourself into other people. That's Elijah. You might find yourself in the place of Elisha, which was a person that was kind of going down the road, nothing was really going that wrong, and then all of a sudden somebody said, came to you and said, you know what, you need to be about the business of God, let's get busy. And about being about the business of God, you're gonna have to give up some things to be able to do it. You might find yourself in one of those two places, but in both of those situations, both people had to make costly decisions to be able to live a life that matters or a life that lasts. Okay, so what can we learn from them? What are the things that we can learn whenever we look at this? So 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19. First thing that it says uh, in verse 19.
There we go. All right, so 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. So here's the first thing that we have to learn. If you are going to be a person, right? So if you're somebody right now that's saying, you know what? I've been going down this road. I really feel like God's changing my life. I really feel like I'm, you know, expanding my borders and reaching people and I'm on mission. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I've got to multiply myself into somebody else. Just so you know, to do that the right way, people aren't going to just walk up to you and say, hey, Thaddeus, man, will you just turn me into a man of God? Like, nobody's doing that. But here's what is happening, right? Here's what he's saying to each one of us. Intentionally, Thaddeus is going to listen and seek out somebody to do it with. He's going to say, I know that person right over there, and I'm going to go to that person, and I'm going to say, you know what? You have a calling on your life, and I'm going to come alongside of you, and I'm going to multiply myself into you, right? Specifically, Thaddeus, to get it done, has to be intentional because it's not going to happen naturally. Naturally, Thaddeus is going to be about staying in his lane because that's where Satan wants him to be. Stay in his lane, do the things he wants to do, and he doesn't want him to see, wow, if I multiplied myself into somebody else, now there's not just one Thaddeus, now there's three, and then there's four, and then there's five, and then there's ten, and then there's a movement that the gates of hell can never prevail against because, hear me, the gates of hell can, per, can prevail against numbers, but not multiplication. Like you can't. If you multiply yourself into other people, it's a movement. You know why things die out? You know why like fires die out? Like all of a sudden you see things get raised up? It's because you have numbers of people who get excited but don't multiply, and then pretty soon the fire goes away, and then so does the movement. But when you choose to multiply and go out and be intentional about those things, that movement will never go away. So I always tell people, listen, if you want to do this and you want to be intentional, three people you need in your life. You better have somebody that you meet with that's been down the road in front of you. And I'm saying meet with that person with the intentionality of saying, for me to be able to multiply myself into other people, take somebody multiplying themselves into me. Does that make sense? You need somebody that's been down the road that you're about ready to go down to that's pouring into you, right? One reason you need to do that, and maybe the biggest reason is, it takes humility to be poured into by somebody else. And I know you don't think this. You know, a lot of people are like, I'd love to be poured into until they tell you you suck, Because you understand, being mentored by somebody else, you got to hear some hard things. Like, you're not on track. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're selfish. You're do That's part of investment. Part of investment is bringing a reality that you're not the way you want to be. And you know how many people are like, I don't want to hear that. Oh, I want to go ahead and multiply myself into somebody else, but nobody can tell me what to do. You know how far that goes? You know how much God honors that? Zero. Because he first needs somebody who will submit themselves to the authority that God has put in their life. Somebody that can look at them and say, you know what, you're off track, you need to do, or you're on track, whatever those things are, you always need somebody in front of you that's mentoring. You also need a peer, like everybody needs a peer, 
somebody that's your same age, that, that is on the same mission, that you can say, you know what, this is what I'm hearing from God, this is what I'm hearing from this person, and we need to figure out together how we can do it because you can't do anything alone. If you're gonna be alone, remember when I talked about isolation? You know what happens inside of isolation? Satan can get into your mind and get you off track. You know why you have somebody that's your teammate? Because at times, even though you're hearing it from somebody else and you're hearing it from God, if you don't have somebody that's on your team, that can get skewed. Anybody ever been there, right? Like you got these things coming and then you go alone and you're sitting there alone and then all of a sudden Satan takes all those things and twists them around. You need somebody on your team that said, you know, I hear you, I heard it, I hear what you're saying, this is what God's saying. I need somebody on my team. You better have somebody on your team. You better have somebody you can be talking to. It's not good to do life alone, right? And then you better be pouring into a generation behind you. Who's that younger person right now that you're saying, you know what? I'm going to make a choice to sacrifice part of my life because without sacrifice for the next generation, that generation's gonna get lost. You know, we've kind of lost that art. I think we've lost the art. Like, I think we've lost the art of it's our responsibility to pass on generationally the things that we know. Anybody? Right, like the things that our grandparents knew and then they just like didn't pass it down, you know, and then it didn't get passed down. And there's these things that you're thinking, like my grandma used to do, my grandpa used to do, and then all of a sudden I don't know how to do it. You know why you don't know how to do it? Because it didn't get passed on. Or you know why? Because you didn't want to hear it <laughs> and you didn't want to do it. Because it was too hard and it was too difficult and they tried to pass it on to you and you're like, no, 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 it's way easier to go to the grocery store. <laughs> it's way easier, right? I mean, come on, like we do those things. We, we look at it like people are trying to pass on things to us and we don't want to hear it because that is something that cramps our lifestyle, right? But we have to, you have to position yourself in two places. One, you have to position yourself in a place to be poured into. Because I'm going to tell you, young people, like, it's, it's easy to say, I want somebody, because I hear this from young people all the time, I just wish somebody would mentor me. Do you? I mean, do you really want somebody to mentor you? Do you really want somebody to call you out when you're not doing the things that you should do? Do you really want somebody that's going to hold you accountable? Because I see a lot of young people that will say that until the rubber meets the road and then all of a sudden you're sitting in one of those hard meetings and they're like, you just don't know me. You don't know my struggles and you don't know my trials and you don't know what I'm going through. Listen, <laughs> at some point you're going to have to trust the process. At some point, you're going to have to trust that person pouring into you is pouring into you for a reason, and it might not make any sense at the time, but you're going to have to figure it out. So this intentionality, right? So right from the beginning, we see if you want to be somebody who's going to pass on generationally, multiply yourself, you're going to have to intentionally go out and find somebody to do it. I'm challenging you, find one person. Find one person that's in front of you, a peer that you can count on, and somebody that you're going to mentor. Okay, I challenge you to do that, right? And see what God will do. If you're a young person today or you're somebody that doesn't have that in your life today, I would challenge you to seek it out. 
Find that person who's going to mentor you. Find that person who's going to be able to pour into your life because it's a part of the process. If you want your life to matter, if you want your life to be multiplied, you need those people. Good? All right, so let's go on. Here's the next thing that he talks about. So Elijah, the prophet, you know, big-time prophet, has done amazing things in his life, gets to the place like he's got to pass on the mantle or pass on his ministry to Elisha. So that's who we're getting introduced to now. So we know Elijah was a prophet, but who was Elisha, right, in that? Well, here's what it says next. He says, so when Elijah went from and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he uh, himself was driving the 12th pair. Now, this is really important because you need to understand, here is a prophet called by God to pass on the mantle, right? Here is a man, Elisha, being called into the process of being multiplied into, okay? Now, here's what you need to see. So in the day, if you had 12 pair of oxen and you were driving one of them, you were a big-time farmer. Like, you had like So Elijah was known as a prophet. Elisha was known as the farmer, right? You, you all know the farmer, you know, the guy that's got all the stuff, and you drive by, and they're like, can you get any bigger of a combine, right? Like, or any bigger of a tractor or any big, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's that guy, right? That farmer, that person that is known throughout all of the community to be successful. Like, this is a guy that has made it in the world of farming, right? And here's why I want you to know this. Because every time there's a calling on your life, you have to understand that it's going to cost you something. So when we talk about this idea that you need to multiply yourself into other people, so what's it going to cost Elijah? A lot of time and a lot of patience. Like I said, one of my greatest failures with my children was not teaching them anything, right? Like I would be like the things that they could do and I could do faster, you know, if I'd say, hey, like, drill this thing in, and they weren't drilling it in fast enough, you'd be like, give me that thing. Any, any other parent that was like, I got to get this done, and I, you know, we can't wait on, like, that was a default of mine, right? Because it takes a lot of time to sit with your kids and teach them something. My kids are way better teachers than me, right? They now teach people, and I think that because they're like, he was terrible. Like, I got to be better at this. <laughs> Like, I got to be better at teaching other people. My kids are way better at it than me. They have way more patience than I do, right? But that was a deficiency, and the deficiency was I had to slow down my own selfish life to pour into somebody else. Isn't that terrible? Now that I just said it, it even sounds worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that was the point is, like, I had a plan. I was going down the road. I had a lot of things to get done. The kids can come alongside of me as a tool to help me get it done faster, but not somebody that I could train up. It keeps getting worse the more I say it. <laughs> but isn't it true, right? Like, this is the So what's it going to cost Elijah? It's going to cost Elijah this time where he's going to have to walk beside somebody in a journey teaching them something that they don't know. What's it going to cost Elisha? We're going to see here in a little bit, a lot, right? And for each one of us, we've got to sit there and we've got to think through this whole idea that when we get to this place of living, if you want to live a life that matters and you want these things to happen at the end of your life, if you want your life to be multiplied, you're going to have to understand it will cost you something. And just so we know, when it costs you something, the natural tendency is to go back to what was comfortable. 
As somebody that's trying to pour into people and it gets really difficult and it gets really hard, the natural tendency is it was way easier to do it myself. Anybody, leaders, people, like way easier to do it myself. This takes five times more of the time, way easier to do it myself. I'm sick of this. They don't even care. They don't even care. Why am I doing this? Right? Same concept when you're on this other side and and, and you're called and, you know, somebody's pouring into you and it gets really difficult because all of a sudden you have to do some things that are outside of you. All of a sudden, you're accountable to somebody other than yourself. How hard is that? You know why people don't like building teams? You know why people don't like team-based leadership? Because you have to be accountable to the other people. Like, that's hard to do, right? It's way easier to just make a decision and not have to explain a decision. Anybody else, right? Like way easier if I could just make a decision, not have to think about anybody else instead of sitting in a circle and be like, what are you thinking and what are you thinking and how do we go down this road and what's God doing and let's put it all together and then let's put a plan. We could have got this done two hours ago, right? So it's gonna cost something to be able to work that way, but long term, if you want a life that's different, if you want a life that lasts, you gotta get out of this idea of just staying in the lane and being by yourself. Now, what happens then? Here's how it goes on. Elijah went out, uh, went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So he throws his cloak, real quick, he throws his cloak over, and the meaning of that was, you're now going to be the next prophet of God. That's what the cloak meant. Right, he throws it over him saying, and Elisha, because he was a Jew at the time, would have known that. If a prophet comes and throws the cloak on, it's like, oh man, I'm the next guy, right? So now all of a sudden, you know, this is the place where it's like, God, you're sitting in your prayer time. God, I'll do anything you ask me to do until he asks you to do it, right? Like God anything to reach people, like I'll do anything. I'm out here plowing the field, and as I'm plowing the field, I'm listening to the podcast and music, and God, I'm on fire for you. And then somebody throws the cloak and says, okay, now take what you've been singing about, take what you've been talking about, and now put it into action. And his first response is, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. I gotta go talk to my mom, I gotta go talk to my dad, I gotta get the farm back in shape, like I gotta have this thing running, you know, so that when I leave, it doesn't fall apart. Like I got a lot of stuff to take care of and all of a sudden, Elijah's like, wait a second, what did I do? You know what he was doing, you know what he's saying to him? Like, wow, did I not let you know that if you're going to put yourself out there to be used by God, it's going to cost you something, and you better count the cost before the cloak comes. Because if you think that you're going to live this life of multiplication in this world without any cost, you're not going to live a life of multiplication. And so all of a sudden, when the calling came, he got a little bit afraid, and, and so Elijah's like, listen, if you're going to be a follower, you got to count the cost. So interesting to me, then what does Elisha do next? Right? We're thinking like a good farmer would go get his land in order, and he would get his stuff going, and he would get his property manager in place, and that's what a good steward would do. This guy built a farm. He's got all this ground. Get a proper manage, property manager together. Keep all this stuff going, because then while he's away, Doing the calling of God, this business can keep going and it's good. But listen to what he does do. Verse 21, 
So Elisha left him and went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elisha to become his servant. <laughs> and if you farming guys in here, you know what? If you want to be a follower of God, just take that John Deere combine and burn it to the ground. Have your friends over. You can roast marshmallows around it. Like it'd be a lot of fun just so everybody knows you're a follower of God. How many people are doing that? I mean, think about this. All these things that you bought and all these things that you have accumulated and all of your tractors that you have and all of this stuff that built your farm, you're going to take it out back, pour the diesel on it, and light it on fire. That's good. Does that not seem completely unreasonable? No? You're going to go ahead and burn your stuff? Call, call us. Send us a video. I'd like to see it. <laughs> Because I'm just telling you, that seems, when you look at it at face value, if you're a farmer and you've invested your whole life in generations worth of equipment, taking it out back, pouring diesel fuel on it doesn't seem like a very good option. And put yourself in any other position. Like, you could put it in any other place. Why is this so important, right? Well, I'm going to give you a couple, like, thoughts of why this is important. Because I don't know what he's going to ask you to do. Like, I have no idea. When you get to that place where he says, you know what, I got a calling in your life and I want you to be poured into and I want you to multiply and I want you to do all these things. I don't know what it's gonna cost you, right? But here's one thing that I do know, right? And I want you to hear this. If you have an option to go back when it gets hard, you will go back. Let's give you an example. So when we came over here to plant the church, one of the things that happened and at the time, you know, this is part of my arrogant self, you know, was like I was meeting with uh, Zerkers at the time and, you know, they had really invested a lot of time and a lot of money and, you know, I was kind of going up the ladder of leadership with them and I told them like, hey, I'm leaving to plant a church and so they were like, well, you need to think about that. That sounds like a terrible decision and come back and see us in a week. So I came back and saw him in a week. Hey, I'm planting a church and he looked at me and he said, just so you know and understand, you can't have your job back and you're like, I don't need your job. Right? I don't need your job. I'm going over to play in the church. I'm going to go do the Lord's work. I don't need your job until you have no money and it's not working. Right? Like until it didn't work. Or the same concept, like we build a house and it's a new house and it's hard to sell. And so I'm like, let's just rent the thing and, you know, let's get over here. We got stuff to do and, you know, we'll just leave it back there and then, you know, that can keep going. We'll figure out how to sell it later. Well, it was a good thing that we sold our house and that I didn't have a job to go back to because there were times when the planning of this church, I would have went back. But I had nothing to go back to. I had burnt the plow right? I had given no option to be able to go back to those things. And I don't know what it is with you, but I guarantee you, if you follow God and if you live a life that's going to last, you are going to get to a point where it's going to cost you something. And somewhere in the midst of that cost, you're going to wish you had your old life back. Anybody that can, like, you see what I'm saying, right? Like, you're going to go down that road because here's, here's what you need to know. Is for myself, like, living out this life or a calling in your life is the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also put me at the place of the most contentment of my life. Does that make sense? Like, it's hard, but at the end of the day, you're content, right, with what those things are. But there's a place, right, 
where you're in that, that tension moment where Elisha and Elijah were, where you're like, I don't know, it's costing me something, you know, I don't know, this is going to be really difficult, and I don't know. And, and you're on that precipice, and you're going to have to make a decision, right, on what you're going to be able to do. Now, here's what I think. Here's what's natural. Anybody that just burn up all their farm equipment, anybody that just left everything to be a follower of God, surely God's going to reveal himself to them right away. Right? Like, surely the guy that just gave up everything, God's, because that's the thing that I used to think. Like, God, we sold everything we owned. We gave up everything. Where is everybody? I thought, I thought Huntington needed a church. Well, if it needed a church, I have no idea where the people are because there ain't nobody coming, right? Like, there wasn't anybody coming. Like, you're in your mind, you're thinking, why did I just give up everything? Why did we ever come to this place? Well, the same concept. Here's, here's Elisha, you know, in this, this process of like, I've just burned everything. I just went down these roads. And you know what happens for the next 18 years of Elisha's life? All he did was follow Elijah around and pour water and serve and pour water and serve and pour water and serve. And you know the problem with that is? For most people today, you miss the bountifulness and the beauty of God because you quit too early because you don't like pouring water. You don't like just pouring the water. You don't like just serving. You don't like just going down that road. You're like, look what I have done. Where is the fruit? Where are all of these things? You're like, I'm sick of pouring water. And so many of us, because we've quit too early, and I say this, when you're, when you're pouring into the life of somebody, you know like you're pouring into them, you're pouring into them, you're thinking like, am I ever gonna see a difference? Anybody? Well, you must not have raised children, right? <laughs> or you must not have mentored, because when you're mentoring somebody, you're thinking, I'm doing, I'm obeying in a year, and no difference, and no difference, and then all of a sudden, like I said this to Sarah the other day, like I look at my kids today, I'm like, they're flourishing, but there for a while, you're wondering like, what, did, did any of this go right? You know what I mean? But now I look at them and look at the leadership and how they love people and the things that they're doing, and just think if you would give up too early, you know, you wouldn't get to see any of those things, and so in this, Elisha's like pouring and pouring and pouring, and then finally, right, 18 years later, 2 Kings, that's where we're going to be next, 2 Kings 9, all of a sudden, God starts to reveal himself. For people that will multiply themselves, he starts to reveal himself in what's going to happen next. Here's what he says, 2 Kings 2, verse 9, so this is we're towards the end of the life, right? We're towards the end of Elijah's life and we're at the place where now Elisha is taking over. He says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. Last request. Elijah's like, I'm gonna be gone pretty quick. He looks at Elisha and says, what can I give you? You know, and again, this is what I want you to think about. So if you're getting mentored by somebody, the worst thing that you could ever do is just think that you could just be like that person. 
Because just so you understand, God has something more and different for you, right? So don't just think like, I'm gonna be just like my dad, or I'm gonna be just like my mom, or I'm gonna be just like my mentor. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what Elisha did with Elijah, right? Because here was his last request. Here's his last request. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked me a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. Think about this. He's like, I want a double portion. I want to do more. I want to have more impact. If you're being mentored by somebody, it shouldn't be just be like them. It should be God. I want to be more. I want to do more. I want to see you use me to have even more effect, more multiplication, more people, more opportunities. That's what you should be asking for. And we as mentors should look at that and say, that's when we're winning. When your kids say, like, I don't want to just be you, I want to be more than you. I want to be better than you were. I want to move this to to a whole new level. And as mentors, we should look back and we should not, like, I say this, right? Sarah and I talked about this yesterday. I said, my kids are so much better than me. Like, and we should celebrate those things. Like, the things that God does that is so much different, we should look at it and be like, Thank goodness it wasn't just being like me. Thank goodness now they are so much more than what I was, so much more than the things that we've done in our lives. That's the double portion that God wants to give to anybody who will ask because he wants to use you in amazing ways through your life. This is how it ends, verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked when he struck the water and it divided right, it divided into right to left and he crossed over through it. So worship team's gonna come back up. Let me give you some principles because here's where we're at right now. So you're at a place and, I, and again, I don't know. So you're gonna just gonna have to evaluate. You're either at a place where you're going down this road and you've been doing some really good things but today brought a revelation in your mind like I'm not multiplying myself into anybody else. Okay, like, you're there, or you're, you're over here and you're at a place where God's calling you into a mission or on mission to be with him like Elisha, but part of the reason that you haven't been letting anybody pour into you is because of the cost. Like you've been sitting back here, you know that you should be multiplying, but you're sitting back there like Elisha and you're sitting there saying, I don't know if I want anybody to pour into me because they're gonna ask more of me than I ask of myself. Because anybody that mentors you that's seeking the heart of God will see things in you that you will never see. That's what they do, right? And that's the way that they look into your life. So I don't know which place that you're at, but here's what I do know. You won't get out of either one of those places until the, the, the pain of staying the same is more than the change 
of changing your life. Does that make sense? Or getting outside of the rut. So the pain of staying the same, like I just can't do this anymore. I've now seen what God wants in my life and he wants me to multiply people. The pain of just staying in the same rut is way worse than the pain that's gonna cause the change in my life. Right, when you get to that place in your life, you're gonna be like, okay, now I can do something. But you gotta get to that place because we already know that it's gonna cost you something. We already know that it's gonna be difficult in your life. So I'm gonna give you three things you gotta do, okay? Take drastic action. Nobody gets to this place like, I'll just kind of wander out of the rut that I'm in into the calling of God. Anybody? Right? Like you don't get that way. Just like it was with Elisha, Whatever drastic action looks like in your life, you need to do it. And young people, I wanna give, give you some encouragement. You see, living inside of this, this idea of taking drastic action, when, when we start living our life, we start to create a pattern, which inside of that pattern creates a rut. Does that make sense? Like you ever see somebody driving in the same place and you look out in your yard and they're like, they drive that four-wheeler anymore in that same place. There ain't gonna be any grass and pretty soon it's gonna dig a hole to China, right? Like if you just keep going around the same. So as a young person, you're still developing a rhythm and the rut is very small. And when God calls you to take drastic action, it's not that hard to get out of the rut. When you're an old person, we've been driving in that rut for a while, you can't even see the motorcycle anymore. And you know how hard it is to get out of a rut that you've been going around and around and around and around? It takes a wrecker to get you out of the rut. I don't know what that is, but it's drastic action and you need to do it because you're not gonna naturally get out of it. And just so you know, if you've been riding around in a rut for a while and you just try to jump out of it, a lot of times there's a wreck in the beginning when you're trying to get out of those ruts, but that's okay because outside of that rut is where God is and where you need to be. So as hard as it seems how to get out of it, you got this picture, as hard as it seems to get out of that trail, it might hurt on the way out, you might crash your motorcycle or your three-wheeler on the way out, but on the outside of the rut is where God is and where he wants you to be. So you might need some drastic action to get outside of that. Here's the other thing, steady progression, don't give up. Just keep pouring. Pour into people, let people pour into you. God's faithfulness is God's faithfulness. His promises are his promises. God will reveal himself to those who have steady progress. Never give up. Never give up. And the last thing is this. Go where God is already working instead of trying to create your own waves. You know, some of the, the things that we do as Christian people when it comes to movements is we try to create these movements and God's like, I got a tidal wave over here. Why don't you come over here? You see, as Christian people, we just need to go where he's already working, be a part of what he's already doing, be a part of the momentum that he's already created, and we just need to be a part of the wave, right? And that movement, right, that message, those things, this is what we can be encouraged. If you live on mission, right, if you don't get distracted, if you live a life that matters, here's what you know, right? From the beginning, we already said that Satan already knows this. If he can keep you in your lane, if he can keep you in your right, you might live all of your life as a good person and you might make it to heaven, but your effect on this earth is nil. 
outside of the rut, on mission, multiplying yourself into other people. You know what Satan's afraid of? What scripture says, when people live on mission and they multiply, right? And they multiply themselves in the other, in, into other people, it creates a movement. And that movement, scripture says, the gates of hell will never prevail against ever. That's what we want, right? We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to be a part of a movement that the gates of hell will never prevail against. We want to teach our children to be a part of a movement. We want to teach the people around us to be a part of a movement. We don't want just a gathering of people. We don't just want a small group of people. We want a movement that the gates of hell will never prevail against and that our God will honor and we will see the world change. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So, Heavenly Father, we know as we come to you today that, that there is this reality that times we um, live a life that isn't lasting. That we might be better ourselves, but we've lost the ability to multiply ourselves into other people. Lord, so today I pray that you'll reveal that to us, not from a condemning standpoint, Lord, but from a vision that we need. Or that we need to learn that you've made us a certain way and that other people need these things and that we can multiply ourselves. And Lord, most of all, may we be a part of a movement that brings glory to you and you alone. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.
One of the things that we can walk away with is this. Jesus is coming. Whether he's coming to rapture his entire church or whether he's coming for you, he's coming. The bigger question is, will your life last? Will it carry on from generation to generation because you chose to multiply, to invest, and to allow God to do what only he can do when we're obedient. And that's my prayer for all of us. May we be a people that multiply ourselves into other people to allow God to create a movement that the world will take notice, that the gates of hell will not prevail against, and that we can celebrate in God's glory. So thanks, everybody, for being here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.